So welcome everyone. Um, uh, my name is Mai Taha and I'm an assistant professor in the sociology department here at LSE. And I'm really, really thrilled to be chairing this uh, amazing panel. Um, uh, and I'll kind of just give you a rundown of what we're going to do now. Uh, the, the whole thing should last around an hour. Um, and the way we thought of structuring it is to kind of pose a, a set of questions to our speakers who will take turns in answering them. And then maybe we can open it up for everybody for Q&A after. Um, so first of all, maybe thanks to the LSE Middle East Center um, and to uh, the media uh, department here at LSE uh, for uh, hosting and organizing the event and to Omar, of course. Um, and let me first start by introducing our speakers. Um, so bear with me here. I have elaborate introductions. Um, <laughs> that are fancily printed with the colors thanks to Nadine. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, our first speaker is uh, Emma uh, Obam-Boltansky. Uh, Emma is a social anthropologist and an Arabist. Um, she's the author of two books, uh, Pelerinage et Nationalisme en Palestine, uh, published in 2007, and Le Corps de la Passion, Experience Religieuse religieuse et politique du mystique au Liban, uh, published in 2018. And she's one of the principal investigators of the research program Shek, from revolt to war in Syria, conflict, displacements, uncertainties, where she coordinates the project of a lexicon of the revolution and the war in Syria. Since 2018, she has developed a new body of research on the shifting roles of Syrian women in the context of revolution, war, and exile, Translating with Nebrash Hayed from Arabic to French, a series of testimonies gathered by the Syrian novelist Samar Yazbek, uh, titled uh, 19 Femmes, Les Syriens Racontent, published in 2019. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Um, and our second speaker is Ilaf Badreddin, uh, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the Prison Narratives of Assad Syria Voices, Texts, Publics project uh, for his research musical remains and songs in Syrian prisons and exile at the UMI Forum in Berlin. He was a postdoctoral researcher at the Phillips University Marburg working on political songs in Syria. His research has been published in Arabic, English, and French, including the Arabic book, When They Cried Forever, The Language of the Syrian Revolution, and it was published in 2018. Upon receiving the Sadiq Jalal al-Azm Award by Etijahet, his forthcoming book on translating the language of the Syrian revolution will soon be released by, there's a pre-order apparently <laughs> by the yeah. writer. Um, and uh, Razan Razdewi uh, is currently a postdoctoral fellow at UMI, uh, also in, in Berlin. Their thesis project is an ethnographical exploration of sexuality politics in the context of the war on terror and the refugee crisis in Syria and Lebanon by examining checkpoints and arrests as everyday forms of political violence against Syrian and Palestinian LGBTQ activists, artists, migrant workers, students, and teachers based in Lebanon. Uh, Ghazawi is a former prisoner of the Syrian state and was exiled by Al-Qaeda and Daesh groups in Northern Syria in early 2014. Welcome, Razan. And then um, Omar al-Ghazi, uh, we have a few Ghazawiya here. So. <laughs> uh, that's always great. Um, 
Uh, Omar is an associate professor in media and communications at LSE. His work focuses on the geopolitics of global communications, particularly in relation to news media and popular culture. He's interested in the politics and the political contestation of narratives around digital technologies, as well as of representations of time and memory, focusing on the Middle East and North Africa. And he's the co-editor of the Middle East Journal of Culture and Communication, which the special issue uh, that the speakers will speak about their uh, articles there uh, was published. And I would encourage you all to check out the special issue. It's uh, such a brilliant collection of scholarship on uh, keywords and contem contemporary Syrian political culture. So thank you all for coming. And maybe without further ado, we can start start the panel. I'm, I'm going to pose a question and maybe I'll ask Omar at the beginning just to kind of contextualize a little bit um, uh, the special issue and, and, and maybe the same question uh, for everybody else. And we can think about the turn as we go wrong. But let's start with Omar, um, and the question is for everyone, but give us a bit of context. So the first thing is, how do words, terms, and language more broadly feature in your scholarship on Syria? And why you think it's important to reflect and think through words? Um, or another way to put it is, what's the social life of, uh, of, the key, of these keywords that you're thinking with? And can they help us uh, and the ways in which they can help us in doing cultural studies in, the, in these um, difficult and turbulent times? Mm -hmm. um, yes, thank you. Thank you, May. And I echo um, the, the thanks uh, at the beginning to the Middle East Center as well to, as well to the media uh, department. Um, and yeah, like I've been, um, I've been kind of thinking about words and terminology for for a long time because I don't know like uh, there's there's always like this nagging feeling that I had that we we feel words are kind of slipping from our hands in in the region uh, particularly and that applies to like how we inherit words from from uh, previous generations of, of whether of theorists or of uh, kind of in politics, um, especially I think growing up, like maybe it's a, a generational, a generational thing as well that um, we inherited like a, a political terminology that we felt does not speak to us or, or reflect who we are. Very, you know, big words about um, about like the nation and about nationalism and about um, ideology and and they seemed you know they seemed words that have nothing to do with us in a way and I like as as um, young political subjects I guess um, growing up growing up there so I I kind of uh, even though that was always in the back of my head like I began to consciously think about it. I think the first thing I wrote in relation to this was uh, thinking about like reading a, a, um, a theory book by, by Mahdi Amil um, and writing a chapter um, about the, his terminology and what like reflecting on kind of reading Mahdi Amil, who is a Lebanese Marxist um, from like um, he wrote this book in the in the 1970s, basically arguing for against conceptions of Arab culture um, that are very essentialist and arguing for a structural understanding of of um, kind of the the 
Arab problems. So this is the, the kind of the the first time that that I um, wrote about it, but it's been it's been um, in my mind um, a lot, and I think um, there is part of the story is related to the Arab uprisings. When um, in 2011 there was this moment of obviously like a moment of, of you know protest that that you, we are all uh, familiar with, but in terms of of language, it was also a political moment of of reclaiming uh, words, um, you know, words like um, for example, Thawra revolution, which is um, like I'll I'll talk a bit about it um, late, later on, but many many other words suddenly. There were words that weren't there before, um, words that uh, were there, but their meanings changed. And as time as time went on, they continued um, changing. And you know, I'll I'll discuss that in relation to revolution. But I but I thought also, kind of reading Raymond Williams and his work on on um, on uh, like keywords in in society and and culture and thinking about like this is a good political moment to to think these questions through um in the in the context in the arab context and particularly the syrian um context so uh we like i thought of um uh, with others as well because this work is is by necessity collaborative um so we issued uh this call for papers um and we got authors to um, suggest their own words um, that they thought are important to to um, explain. So I'll just I'm going to just uh, I won't mention the words of the authors who are here, but just to give you an idea, we had the word Jaulan, um, an essay written by Adrian uh, Zakkar and Amir Ibrahim, reflecting on um, like the the place of the Jaulan of the Golan Heights in Syrian political culture and how, like, as as how it is brought into political discourse from different vantage points um, as well. Um, the word uh, we have an essay on the word shawaya by Hayan Dukhan, who uh, like, shawaya means basically it refers to the um, people of the no northeast of of Syria, and that term was used as a as a slur by uh, kind of urban bourgeois. Syrians, but it was reclaimed and it has an interesting afterlife. The term Rojava, this essay is by Thomas McGee, um, you know, thinking about it in, in Kurdish, but also in Arabic, Tashbih by Yazan Badran, Mendas by Noura Ibold, um, Love and Blood by Rahaf Dughli, Yahef, which is which means like shame, um, and it, it featured a lot in particularly uh, music and, and popular culture around uh, the the when the uprising first happened, and nuzuh, um, which refers to kind of displacement and migration, and has such a, a heavy political inheritance in in the in the Middle East. So these are the collection of um, of essays, but. Um, I also perhaps uh, point to um, Emma now because Emma, it so happened when I was thinking of this, they uh, Emma was also leading a project which is about the lexicon of the of the Syrian revolution. So we were kind of uh, in parallel working working on this, and uh, now we you know started collaborating um, as well. So maybe Emma, you'd like to speak on, yes. to that point. Thank you. But first, I I would like to say that. Uh, 
uh, also as an anthropologist, I have always paid attention to the way people uh, to the way people use words. Uh, I worked for a long time on religious phenomena. Uh, I worked on uh, uh, Virgin Mary apparitions in Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt, and I worked on um, on a women network of mystics who pretend to uh, embody the Virgin Mary and the Christ. And I, I was uh, very interested on the ways in which people uh, put into words, uh, tell this kind of experiences at such uh, Virgin Mary apparition, or uh, to have your own body visited by the Virgin Mary and the Christ, and uh, experiences that are uh, difficult to share. What, word, what words to choose to be heard, to be believed, to be credible when you tell about such experiences uh, in different circles. So uh, it was something that uh, uh, interests me a lot in, in the book you mentioned, uh, the last book I, I wrote. Uh, so something uh, I, I might call uh, a, a discursive vigilance. And uh, when a revolution or war uh, breaks out in a highly polarized uh, context, uh, uh, the discursive vigilance is all the more important uh, because the words you use to express yourself in this public sphere uh, place you on one side or the other. Uh, it can uh, put you in danger, it, it can be traps. So uh, this discursive vigilance is uh, all the more important. And in all words, uh, words, words constitute uh, also battlefield uh, because what is at stake uh, is nothing less than imposing a narrative that will make history. Uh, words are the foundation of narratives that clash with each other. And I would like to come back to this uh, a project of a lexicon mm -hmm. and to say a few words about the genesis of uh, this project. Actually, it all, start, uh, it all started with uh, the translation of a book. Uh, you mentioned it as well, uh, a book uh, uh, which, was, uh, which is a, um, a series of testimonies uh, of uh, uh, Syrian women. So I translated it with Nivrez uh, Shrailed uh, into French in 2011, uh, in 2018. Sorry. And so into, in, uh, to, into French, sorry, from Arabic into French, sorry. Yes. And uh, Nivrez Shrailed is a philosopher. And uh, uh, so it was, uh, this said, uh, uh, 19 testimonies of it. Uh, it is uh, um, sorry, a series of testimonies of Syrian women who were engaged in the revolution and who paid a high price uh, for their commitment in the revolution. Uh, so it's a book by Samar Yazbek, and uh, the title in Arabic is Ashra uh, Imra'a Suriyat Yarwaina in Arabic. I think that it's, it's not translated in, into English. So uh, the title in English would be 19 women 
uh, uh, Syrian women tell their stories. And uh, while translating this book uh, with Nibras, we realized that some keywords and expressions were problems, were raising problems. Uh, not only problems of translation, but also problems in the sense uh, that Raymond Williams meant when he explained that in a given society, in period of uh, turmoils, of changes, worlds, especially worlds uh, involving ideas and values, are problems that need to be explored, uh, that behind a nominal continuity, one finds a history and, and complexity of meanings. And this difficulty uh, was reinforced by the fact that this, uh, these uh, 19 uh, Syrian women had shared their uh, stories with an, an, uh, another Syrian woman, uh, Samar Yazbek, this uh, Syrian novelist. As a result, some issues, some information, uh, uh, information uh, remained implicit. So we saw that with Nibras that it was important for French readers to, to, uh, to explicit them. So we started to write footnotes uh, on the word Hara'er, free woman, the, uh, the, the word I, I wrote an article with Usama Khalbus on. The, uh, also a footnote on Allahu Akbar, the takbir, who was used as a slogan uh, during the revolution and so on. And of course, like all publishers, uh, uh, our publisher uh, stock uh, hate footnotes, especially because uh, uh, he wanted to classify this uh, book as a novel and not as an essay. So uh, what he, he cut the content of the footnotes and he was simply erased it them as well. But this work was the first step uh, towards the idea of a lexicon that I set up after this translation with two colleagues, uh, Nisrina Zaher, who is a, a linguist, uh, and Jean-Christophe Pessard, who is an engineer special, uh, specialized in digital humanities. So, uh, but um, our lexicon is, um, uh, is online. So now, and it's true that uh, something was in the air in 2019 to 2020, while you were preparing this special issue, we were trying to set up this idea of a living lexicon. And so uh, now we are uh, we we have published uh, seven uh, eight essays on different words. Uh, but perhaps I, I'm too talkative. Yes, yes. Other questions and um, about the story as well. Bazan, maybe you want to go? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, should I talk about? Um... So, so the first question was like, how the words and terms and, and language more broadly feature in your work uh, and scholarship on Syria, and like, what's the significance of thinking through keywords uh, when doing? cultural studies and today's world, basically. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so interesting to hear Omar and also Emma talk about this, these projects. Um, for me, so I come from an activist background. Um, I started blogging in 2005 um, in Damascus, also in, in Beirut. Um, 
and uh, coming to academia is is me bringing my activism into academia, which is kind of imposing myself into academia. Um, so I always kind of, um, as a teacher, I've I've worked as a teacher for a long time, um, and I always thought of, I always think about how, what is it that I want to write about that is going to teach. Um, what are the pedagogies of the stuff I'm writing about? This is why it, the article is a pedagogies of Ramadian protest. And I am always like interested in the ideas of pedagogies. How can we learn from, um, from, from Ramadian, which is a, a, a Ramadian, uh, my article is about Ramadian or what I call as unrevolutionary uh, figures. Um, it is a very contentious term and keyword. And it's, um, it has first started to describe people who have not made um, firm, um, I was I'm not say firm, very black and white, I would just say, um, um, approach to or stance or position towards the um, Baathist authoritarian regime crackdown on protest. So, so being called Dramadi means that you have not made a very clear position against Assad. That was how it was started in 2011. And then 10 years later, started actually even before that, this term started to be used against activists themselves. So people who would be not like not in agreement with the dominant narratives or demands of the revolution, they are called Ramadiin. They are called white Syrian. They are called infisaliin. Infisaliin means separatist, which is a term that is marked or stigmatizing Syrian Kurds when they wanted to talk about their rights. Mm. So a lot of Arab Syrians would call them separatists. You want to separate from uh, us or like um, you want to divide Syria. So there's a lot of these. As a teacher, I'm starting to not only want to um, protest Assad only, but also this kind of cultures of bullying, but also gatekeeping what is revolutionary. Um, so like, unfortunately, I feel like as someone who is maybe used to be a public figure, um, I feel like I have responsibility, not only in my position, not only to say, yes, in 2011, it was revolutionary to protest Assad. Today is not only Assad that is a problem. I feel like there's a lot of also cultures of othering, of bullying, of gatekeeping, and they're erasing people who are non-normative, people who have different views, people who have different experiences and also different political affiliations. Um, so I think this is why keywords is very important. Mm -hmm. Keywords are important because they tell us about these cultures. They tell us about these non-normative um, communities. So. I, my first chapter I wrote was about white Syrian and white Syrian is a terminology that is used first also again to dis, to, um, ex, to describe people who are loyalist to the regime, who are benefiting from the, from the regime economically. And I think that Fanon was co-opted, you know, Franz Fanon was co-opted to kind of um, come up with that term. And this is why I wrote my chapter to reclaim what Fanon was talking about, which is actually to say, uh, to kind of center also into blackness and the idea of what he was talking about. Um, but white Syrian became um, changed from being describing the people who are loyal to the regime to, to feminists who are public figures, who are working in the, in the, um, in the public affairs 
And they have also a normative ideas and, and, and uh, understanding of what is revolution or what is revolutionary. So white Syrian became a misogynist term. White Syrian became an anti-feminist term. In, in, in this special issue, I talked about Ramadiyin. Ramadiyin is also has been described uh, people who are from minorities, so Christians, Alawites, Druze, um, which is actually, there's another term for it, which is aqallawiyin, or like being minatorian. And this is why some intellectuals would say, we have a majoritarian approach to Syria, which is Sunni approach to Syria. So it's like kind of playing with these words of what is a majoritarian, which is a kind of a synonym with Sunni or like minatorian, which is synonym, synonym of, of Christian or Alawite or Druze, Druze is, um, you, you can see that there's a culture of sectarianism. This is how, like, I feel like talking about words and keywords and cultures of terminologies, they tell us about the, the implicit, the cultures that it is not people like kind of intellectuals. They don't want to talk about sectarianism so abruptly and so kind of, um, let's just say, uh, I don't know, what do you say, fudge in English? Um, oh. Yeah, like very, very kind of, sectarianism. I don't know how to say. <laughs> um, but so people would just say, "You're a Qalawi. you know. I was just, and I, and I was like, "No, you cannot say someone who's Christian a Qalawi just because they come from a Christian background. You can actually engage with their politics and say what's they're wrong with their with their like what they were saying, but don't mark them as a Christian. That's why you kind of like a Qalawi or like or like a separatist or like um infisali or white Syrian. And so like. My article on Madiyin has really kind of explained, um, maybe we can talk about this later. I feel like I'm talking about a lot, but yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, what I wanted to say, why I'm interested in, in, in cures, because they tell us a lot about what people don't want to talk about politically, that people, um, is political correctness. And I think it's hiding what is actually beneath in the culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, actually, I don't want to repeat uh, again, like, what, or like, you know, like, I feel like now I want, like, to you know, jump, like, and continue what Razan was uh, talking about, like, maybe, like, get, just getting, like, one step back. Um, for me, like, it was, like, also, like, very, like, uh, coincidence, like, when I, like, started to think about, like, uh, terms and key terming and all, and the vocabs, uh, this started, like, in 2011 for me. And I came also from like similar background to Razan from activism or activist uh, also, uh, I mean, before becoming an academic actually in 2011. And I was working as an interpreter in Beirut. And uh, before like being a comparatist or studying comparative literature at that time. And then I was like so surprised, maybe like just like a short story, like to tell you like about how this started all of it. I was in Beirut in Ashrafiye and I was interpreting for one of the Syrian activists from Banias and he was like, you know, so enthusiastic talking about what happened in Banias in the first months and saying that, uh, yeah, we were gathered in the public space or square in Banias and all of us like, you know, were there and they were saying like, Hurriya or Thawra. And then we said, Yil'an ruhak ya Hafiz. Oh, Hafiz, curse your soul. Actually, me and him, we were like waiting for interaction from the journalist who I was interpreting for. And then like she looked at me like this and she said, Yalla, Ilivado, yeah. And then like I repeated again, you know, they said, Yila Rohak Ya Hafiz. And there was no interaction at all from her. 
And then like, you know, I just like I told her, have you noticed that we're talking about Hafez Assad and we are 2011? I said, ah, yeah. And then she started taking notes. And I thought, you know that he passed away 2000. Oh, yes. And can't you just like give it like a little bit more thinking about like the meaning of cursing, the meaning of why this is happening in 2011 and Hafez al-Assad. And here, this is like where I started my PhD project, translating the language of the Syrian revolution, actually, where I worked on several terms. And uh, I started from the, uh, uh, I mean, methodologically or like on the level of theories about the term thick translation, uh, which is like similar to what Omar has just mm -hmm. mentioned now about like how like a very simple term or word or different words, like they have like multi-layers, they have thick context, thick histories. And also, I mean, this is like from one side, but also like maybe if we can like add like an additional layer to what Omar, Razan, and Emma like just said that we are in the middle of narratives also, like different discourses. Yeah. And uh, and when we talk about like Thawra, what what what's, what Thawra or revolution is for the Syrian regime, for example, and what is Thawra for the people who protested in 2011? And also like, this is not only about the Thawra, it's about like narratives, terms, and vocabs. And also like what gives it like more dimension is about like where we are speaking from. And this surprised me in 2011, for example, like when I read English news, like what happened in Egypt was Thawra, what happened in Tunisia was Thawra, but what happened in Syria, I'm not talking about now, talking about 2011, it was unrest, clashes, uh, you know, all of the other like negative words in English that can be like, you know, attributing the Syrian people when they were protesting. And this was like before Islamization, before like having violence, before, you know, anything. And then here, like it started, like honestly, like, you know, starting my PhD project in 2015 after I finished my MA in Paris. And uh, I've noticed that how, like, like any term we're using in 2011 is not only related to 2011, but it's, it's related to the past history or histories here, like between two brackets for the S, because we're not talking about only one singular interpretation for all of what we're talking about, but it's like different multi-layered thick contexts and thick histories for the same term we're talking about. I mean, I don't talk about my Al-Abad, right? I keep I, it I, for, I, for later. For, there's yeah. a, a follow-up. <laughs> okay. Follow-up on this. I will stop here then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking we should kind of unpack all of this, but... But let's maybe like hear from everyone on like the diff the different terms they chose to to write about in the special issue and why they think this term is particularly important to think through kind of contemporary Syrian uh, political culture. Um, and and I'm hoping that we can touch upon a lot of the stuff that's been already covered. I know Razan, you spoke a little bit about uh, the word already and. Maybe if I can ask you, let's start with you just to make things sim simpler. Um, if you can, you spoke a bit about Ramadiyin, but maybe if you can speak a little bit about why it's Syrian and how it's also articulated in Arabic, uh, but also your choice of Ramadi, like contextualize it a little bit for, for everyone who maybe uh, might not have read the pieces yet. Yeah, thank you. I have to say I'm not very proud of my white Syrian uh, chapter. It was written in a pandemic and the editor was very, very like quick and like getting the draft out. I'm like, wait, I need to like, I need to like write it again. I need to like just be more, you know, kind of sit with it. So I'm, I'm not very proud of it, but I, I and I and I kind of I'm, I don't like myself because 
I feel like I also co-opted Fanon in a way. <laughs> like I was like, am I doing the same thing? Um, so I, I I really should go back and like revise that chapter um, and and in a future publication. But yeah, I I kind of use digital ethnography or ethnography to kind of talk about people who have been framed as white Syrian feminists um, who have really been like critical about monetization, critical about um, all the sort of like. Um, uh, uh, um, military approach to how to deal with the with the with the with the violence uh, of uh, the Syrian regime. So, um, and also like kind of having a, a very um, nuances. I feel like people who have nuances and criticism, um, and they have like really little reluctance or like have kind of in between positions have been very much um, erased and secluded and excluded from the representation of the uprising. So my white Syrian chapters really kind of talk about all of these dynamics. Um, and uh, and my my Romadiyin talks about specific people. Like I talk about, uh, um, for example, uh, Fadwa Sleiman, who is a Syrian actress, um, and who was really known, she was very known in the early in the revolution um, and her role was very important. And then, then when, when started things become more militar, militarized, um, she had a very critical views about militarization. And then that's when it started that she became um, kind of secluded, um, exploit, like excluded. And also like there was a, I remember there's a lot of gossip around her. Like there was like, Oh, she's Qalawi. She's like, you know, uh, she's being very much kind of uh, um, um, very much like distant, not very much in touch with the reality. Um, she's really uh, and, and, and she's framed as an Alawite. Uh, she's framed as someone who's an Alawite. And that's why she has this kind of anti-militarization politics. And uh, she lived, a, she she died of um, of illness and in, in her exile in Paris. And um, a lot, lot of people, I talked to a lot of people, her friends um, before she died. She lived a very lonely life before she died, even though people celebrated her when she died. But it, she was really punished because of her views and because she was uh, uh, from an Alawite family and background. And I also talk about. Uh, Al Khayyar, who is um, also until now, to, until today, he's a he's a political prisoner in Damascus until today, and he is not being celebrated by the revolutionaries. N like, not many people talk to him because talk about him, and and kind of um, uh, and there was a lot of articles talk about how he is not a, a perfect revolutionary or not a, like an ideal opposition because he refused to be a diaspora or an exile or like to protest the state outside. He was more like, I'm going to stay in, in my country. I'm going to protest as in my country and I'm against militarization. I'm against the like um, kind of lobbying uh, Western states to to kind of um, topple their regime. So his approach was not normative to a lot of revolutionaries. And that's why he's also his case is not very much um, kind of, you know, part of the revolutionary discourse. So I talk about these figures in my article and how like the idea of them being framed as Ramadiyin, even though they're protesting the authoritarianism, that they have like, for example, Abdelkarim Khayyar, he's like, known like he's a very known figure of like decades ago and yet he is being bullied today by people who are like joined the revolution 10 years ago um some people actually have not joined the revolution 10 years ago just like like even earlier than that 
So like we have like these amazing people who have really suffered and been really uh, excluded because of this kind of subcultures of othering and because of gatekeeping what is what, what is revolutionary and I and this is my interest in um is is as as people who are part of revolution we should not only talk about the government uh, and the in the and the authoritarianism but also how we also police people because when we're when you are anti-authoritarian you're also anti-police you're also you're an abolitionist person so how can you actually transcend that into the revolution how can you be anti-authoritarian within the revolution i think we do that by addressing this kind of bullying culture um and this is my interest in this yeah, I mean, it's really interesting also because there's a big element of, of fear, right? Like in the whole region, right? But but also how do we think about empathy and fear? Because revolution is always associated with, you know, the fearless, right? Uh, so I think this brings up so much about, you know, processes of other in, in the context of a climate of complete terror, really. Um, anyway, uh, maybe Omar, you want to speak a little bit about? Um... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like my my word, uh, it's actually not an essay in the in the special issue because of you know limit limitation of the space, but it is coming out as a separate uh, chapter in a in a handbook of um, of communication and the Middle East. But I've but the term that I'm engaging with is revolution thawra, and in in that chapter, like the approach that I took is not only focused on Syria, but but kind of uh, it's a call to um, to think critically about how about the circulation of the term revolution. And I think um, like with with revolution specifically, like there I, I had a frustration of debates about whether this is a revolution or not. Like I think a lot of that debate was used kind of like uh, cynically to to say that, oh, this is not a revolution. Uh, because because it's not been successful so to think about like failure and I thought like that doesn't really reflect the um, the dynamism of the term and like the culture of its of its usage and, and circulation so it's a call to kind of open up the understanding of revolution but while, while doing that like there's also a risk that I was always thinking about because it is not my intention to actually make it uh, seem that revolution since so many political actors are invested in the term and using it um, for counter-revolutionary purposes that oh revolution is an empty signifier it doesn't mean anything anymore um, because I think that is actually not the point the point is to think why are people using um, this term and to think historically um, as well like why do political actors choose the term revolution to seek legitimacy in uh, the political and the public sphere. And I think that goes back, we have to take a historical look to, um, to think about like the place of revolution in anti-colonial history, the resonance of, of revolutionary language, despite all the setbacks that have accumulated kind of throughout the years. And, and even kind of, uh, if you think about the first wave of the Arab uprisings, even the, se the second wave, like in, in Iraq, in Lebanon, in Sudan, they insisted on, call, on calling it revolution. So it's not, there is also a price to pay in a way, like because um, revolution with all these uh, experiences of, you know, of death, of, um, of killings, of failings, of, of 
like all all the disasters that that you know we have been witnessing in the region becomes a very harsh word um and now a lot of people have even like aversion to the word revolution like i can't hear that word anymore because it just reminds reminds us of kind of the the in emotional investment we had before and kind of it, it became a really harsh word in in hindsight so i think about like the, the different temporalities of the use of of revolution um one layer is how authoritarian governments use that term so thinking you know from al-qaddafi obviously also um, assad how revolution is suspended in temporality it just becomes like i look at actually al-qaddafi's uh, first and last speech which is all about revolution like in 1969 and in 2011 he was calling for revolution in the same in the same language so it's as if revolution mm -hmm just like stuck in, in time, there's revolution as a, as a future oriented uh, kind of call for action where in, in a, if you are protesting in, in a context where, you know, you might be killed, you want to kind of raise the stakes of, of why you're, you're doing this and you want to mobilize others um, to join you. So revolution becomes this future oriented goal then I reflect on when revolution becomes in the near past, and it is kind of the the, the painful uh, aspect of, of revolution where it, it becomes fragmented um, depending on kind of which country we're talking about, but also the, the experiences and the emotions that using revolution kind of brings up um, in, in the near in the near past. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting later to pick up on the whole the term and history because also Elif, you brought up that up, you know, mm -hmm. what does it mean to to think about the temporality of, of the term, but maybe in the discussion, you want to go ahead and speak about your, your term. Yeah, <clears throat> actually, it was, uh, I mean, such a coincidence to go with Al-Abad. Uh, and thanks for Omar, actually, if you remember the emails that we exchanged. I, first of all, I was thinking about like writing about Assadism which is a word that I promised Emma to write for her. <laughs> I mean, you knew who to bring beside me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh, just like I was thinking about like writing about like this term Assadism, I mean, just I've noticed now Max uh, Weiss has written about it in his new book, actually. Uh, and then, like, uh, I suggested that I write it, like, through slogans. I mean, how Assad, like, reached the only only leader of Syria. And then I just, like, I told him, like, you know, and just, I mentioned, like, the forever. And then, like, I mentioned, like, Assad and Al-Abad uh, forever. And then, like, Omar told me what, what I told him. Okay, and also because of my PhD, I have, like, many terms. <laughs> Uh, and then he told me, what about Al-Abad? And then, like, I liked the idea because really for me as a Syrian all the time, like, I mean, what can, like, summarize Syria for me is Al-Abad. I mean, you know, when I close my eyes as a Syrian, I see something called Al-Abad, you know, which means like... Sorry, Al-Abad. Ah, sorry. Al-Abad. Forever. Sorry. Forever, because like whenever like in Syria you go to the streets, then you see like the photo, the portraits of Hafez al-Assad, and they say al-Assad ila al-Abad. Uh, like in all of the offices, on the on the, I mean, you know, like on the vans, cars, windows, uh, whatever. Like you look, just like you see this visual visual occupation. I called it in my Arabic book. I mean, about like how you can see Assad all the time, and then like beside him, like you see al-Abad. 
And then like this, like gave it to me like a nice idea, like to start thinking about it, like also from the same approaches I started with, like about how Al-Abad can like mean for from different narratives, discourses, uh, uh, also like, uh, uh, I mean, how this can like has different layers and different meanings at the same time. So I started with it, Al-Abad, like in the, in, in it's like lexical meaning of it. What does it mean? I mean, and like similarities of the term itself with Al-Abad, Al-Abad, Al-Abad you know, like different temporal or like time related like keywords in Arabic and why Al-Abad can be like used definitely for the, I mean, the, the rhythm we have, Asad Abad, you know, this is like very catchy slogan, I mean, to, to use it. But at the same time, because, you know, Al-Abad for Asad, I mean, is like, we know like when it started, but it's ongoing. And this is like why I called it also Al-Abad, the ongoing or on the ongoing or what is like, you know, still like happening. Uh, so I took this term from different layers, like the, the lexical one, the hysterical one, but also like at the end, like I went to the slogans and how Al-Abad, like, uh, uh, I mean, how it started like gradually, I mean, Al-Abad in the slogans of uh, Al-Ba'ath party in Syria. And then like we reached this, I mean, like for me, like as an adult now, you know, like I, I, I got up and then I saw Al-Assad and Al-Abad like together on the photos. But before this, we had like a long history for this photo or for this term on those photos, like to see them. But maybe I can mention like some details or like um, we should like be so short. Uh mention a bit of details and okay like also, okay just like <laughs> like just like very few slogans i mean you know like they started like with slogans like al yad al uliya hi al yad al huya al yad al amila fi dawlat al ba'ath for example like uh, the higher hand is the one that is working in the ba'ath uh, country uh, you know like very ideological slogans at the beginning and then like slowly it started to be like asad as a leader and then like asad as the only leader and then like al asad as al abad but also like here Al-Abad is connected to God, I mean, uh, 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 like in the sense that, and also like in all of the slogans that are like being said, I mean, in Syria, like, Hallak ya Allah, Hallak ya Hafiz Mahallak. God, it's time now for God, uh, God it's time now for Hafiz to take uh, your place, for example, I mean. Or like even like with the literature in Al-Ba'ath, he is, he is uh, Al-Amin, for example, which is, Al-Amin here, it has also multiple uh, uh, meanings for it, you know, Al-Amin as the prophet. In Quran, it says that Al-Amin, he is the prophet, but also Al-Amin, it means, you know, he is like the highest rank of Al-Ba'ath party. Uh, but also like Al-Abad, like the last layer of it is the, the continuation of the political regime in Syria, but also it's the continuation of the exile. So everything that for, for me now, after I finish this article, I mean, I think about it like Syria is Al-Abad. Is Al-Abad for the exiled people? Is Al-Abad the people who are imprisoned? It's Al-Abad for the regime itself. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Emma, do you wanna yes. take it? So, um, sorry. I don't know. With notes. No, notes, I'm even more talkative. <laughs> it frames me. So with uh, Osama Khalbous, Osama we chose the word Hara'er uh, because we we saw that uh, it was a, a good example of the linguistic dynamics we wanted to explore in our uh, lexicon. It was first published in French in our lexicon. Uh, so uh, Hara'er uh, is not a new word. Uh, it's uh, an archaic word. Uh, but it was uh, very rarely used uh, 
before the revolution in Syria. It is a plural that can be translated into English by the expression free woman. And it was, uh, uh, so it entered the revolutionary, uh, revolutionary repertoire to designate uh, groups of women who were taking part in the revolution. So you had Hara'er, uh, Daraya, Hara'er, Duma, and so on. Uh, this word seemed interesting to us because it could be considered as an element of this new language that the revolutionaries has to invent in this moment of radical political change. We were asking ourselves with Uzama, why not Sa'irat, for example? the feminine of Sa'er, why not, uh, which means... Excellent huh? question. Excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> so it, secondly, Hada'er uh, interested us because it quickly raised a fierce debate uh, uh, within revolutionary uh, groups. If some protesters uh, considered the world to be archaic, poetic, and neutral in a way, without any marked religious connotation. Others believed uh, that it, its widespread use was a sign of an Islamist derivation discriminatory against women. Indeed, it was first used. Uh, so we, we, as Osama, we tried to track the word to see where it was first used. And we found that it was first used uh, in Yemen and after in Egypt and uh, by Muslim Brotherhood in those contexts. But in the Syrian context, uh, it quickly, it was quickly reappropriated by hundreds of thousands of protesters, uh, among them secular groups, not only religious groups. Uh, Ilaf wrote an article uh, uh, about that. And thirdly, uh, Hara El was, uh, was interesting because uh, we wanted to, we, we would like to work also on subversion and reappropriation. And this word was uh, uh, reappropriated by the regime propaganda through a television series entitled Hara El, which was broadcasted in 2015 by Syriana, uh, uh, a production company close to the regime. So we. Uh, so, and and uh, last but not least, uh, the word was interesting because it raised contrasted feelings, uh, and um, uh, from I would say, in a nutshell, from because for if for uh, certain people it was like completely, uh, it uh, I mean it it raises no concerns. It was like neutral, I don't know if it's a good term, for others, uh, on the contrary, it was a kind of threat to them, uh, especially for women. And uh, uh, so, um, and uh, you wrote an article about- uh, It's a part of my PhD, yeah, the part, translation of it. About yes, the translation by the, Max Weiss. And the Arabic, uh, yeah. Yes, from uh, into English. And it, it, it was interesting also because it raised uh, a question of, uh, uh, of uh, of translation as well, yeah. because how to translate when it because it conveys different feelings from fear yeah. uh, to just uh, no concern. I don't know how to say that, but uh, so it's uh, 
uh, Max Weiss in a, a tra uh, uh, who translated a book of Samaria's Beck uh, shows different ways to translate it and you yeah. criticize one of of them. <laughs> he translated yeah. by uh, free virgin women just to make the, Eng the English reader understand why uh, it raised such a mm. fear uh, uh, or uh, criticism from Samaya's back in her book. Yeah, but the problem, if I can... I yeah, 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 yeah no, it's interesting. Yeah. We, yeah, we, the, <laughs> the, the point is, I mean... Uh, um, and the article I mean, is very interesting. Thank you so much. Mm. My article or yours? No, <laughs> yours is very interesting. Actually, uh, it all starts with your article. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, yeah. in this article, I talk about the violence of translation, yes. actually. And the point is, I mean, I criticized him because he based his decision of trans. I mean, first of all, I mean, it wasn't like an accusation from me about only Max Weiss. This is like a good... Uh, Good, good place actually to elaborate about like what we wrote actually and also what she wrote at the same time but the point is that uh i mean in the first edition of his book he he writes a note that uh, saying that i translated it as the i mean maybe the book you have is the second or the third edition so this is why you don't have this note because in the second and third edition it was deleted he writes like a note that thank you for my colleague. Uh, I forgot his name for telling me who is like doing uh, Islamic studies. He told me about Al Hadith, uh, the yeah, yeah. Hadith that says, "Man arada liqa Arabihi biqalbin tahiran faalayhi bilharair." He wants to meet God with a pure heart. He should like have the the free woman. And what he wrote about the hadith, it was said that this is what it was translated in English, free virgin yes, woman. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And this is like it was added, you know, to the I mean the hadith said hara'ir. And here, like what Emma like really works so well on it. I mean, but the point is that he said, like, the excuse for me choosing this because it is mentioned already as virgin, you know, and this is the problem for me. And this is like it's not a problem. I mean, it's like a choice of translation at the end. But also the decision I did, I mean, it wasn't only about this term, but it was based on three books of the translation of the Syrian revolution. And it was based on more than one example also. And it wasn't only about the act of translation of Max Weiss, but it was about serious peaks and the story of a place, story of people. That if we like collect all of those like different translations or like, you know, the translations from Arabic into English and we see them, we can see that there is like, uh, I mean, this is how Foucault like defines uh, discourse. I mean, we see like the discourse about translation of the language of the Syrian revolution is on the repeated statements that are Islamization, violence, and uh, militarization of, of Syria. And here is like when I talked about all of the translation, not only the one translation yeah. of Max Weiss, if it's not clear in the article of uh, Emma. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. I was hoping that we'll have a discussion on the politics of translation because I think you all kind of touched upon that. But maybe let's open it up for, for questions. Um, if I could just ask you to introduce yourself uh, before you speak and yeah, try to keep it brief. Yeah, go ahead. My name is Fatima. I am a Syrian student here less than a year, of course. Um, I have actually two questions. I stopped at the word ideal revolution. What does it mean? Who puts the characteristics of ideal revolution or ideal revolute? And how do we Syrian 
will need to agree on such a term or do we need to agree from the beginning? So I would like if we can speak more about the ideal revolution. And uh, also I stopped about the colors, gray, white, and maybe black. So it seems that the Syrian themselves during these past 11 years have divided themselves into categories according to the political opinion. And I'm always thinking how or what do you think are the ways that we can reunite ourselves as Syrians under one color or one word? Is that possible? Do you see that in the future of Syria as academics, as activists, as humans and as Syrians? And thank you for the interesting uh, lecture. Maybe we can have two, two more questions. Yeah. Um, hi, um, thank you to the panelists. My name is Ayla. I'm a student here at LSA. I'm Syrian as well. And my question is related to the term Thora or revolution. So in the past, I'd say eight years, the term revolution or Thora hasn't been used to describe what happened in Syria. Um, instead, we're using the words um, which translate into the war um, crisis and um, like the, um, yeah, oh, conflict as well. Yeah, absolutely. So my question is, do you, do you think that using these terms um, is causing us to detach from the reason of the uprising in Syria? And um, how do you think we can get past that? Thank you. I th thank you for this like uh, panel, dis panel discussion. My name is Henry and I'm from SOAS, University of London. Uh, my question is like, uh, how do like this like uh, keywords and uh, I mean like this kind of like, um, lexicon terminologies can contribute to our understanding of the public space or like uh, according to Asif Bayat, as I think you, you, you know him and um, and also, like, how does how do these wars or or like the uh, I mean, in the in the cultural sphere, can contribute to our understanding to the, the like non movement or like the uh, the collective movement of the non collective actors? Like, um, I think that's also relevant to uh, Bayat's like discourse and argument. Yeah. So, how this can contribute to the public space? Yeah. Maybe we can like have quality answers. Anyone wants to pick up? Um, do you want to start? So I can start. Yeah, ask one more question. Mm -hmm. We'll have another round though, maybe so that not to overwhelm the speakers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I already forgot the question. Don't uh, <laughs> worry, it's about revolution. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I wrote Thaura only. <laughs> and the Ramadi. <laughs> I can I can start with the with the revolution um, question. Um, yeah, like and so you you asked about ideal revolution. Yeah, like I don't think you know I don't think that is that is that ideal re revolution. Like even you know it is important to to also define you know re revolution and uh, revolutions are often about about violence about uprooting about you know it's not it's it's not I. 
it is idealized by those who win, right? Like, and then then they kind of clean the term from the messiness of how it unfolded. Um, but yeah, like, and and maybe this links to the to the second question about even the like who used the term revolution, and maybe like I think a lot of us who are thinking about keywords like imagine imagine the a form of maybe like a, a wiki or something because it links to other words like uh, because if you don't like in the in Syria at particular time. Saura also became like really divisive like we are the Saura and you are not so if you use Azme probably you would be you know like branded as a Ramadi like because you are not using Saura and and so it becomes like all these different signals of who's against you know who and and it is very much like it it points to the importance of doing this work not only to to kind of understand the present, but also to archive, like to think about, you know, how how these terminologies were operationalized in certain points in time. And, and like, we also don't maybe like, we have to be careful not to romanticize the use of the term because yeah, they like, they, they were very divisive. Of course, doing revolution, you need to be divisive at to some extent because you are trying to overthrow something and you know you want to mobilize against it but it's it's risky territory we and to think about it in relation to digital culture kind of the the way that Razan was also talking about about bullying and and to tie it to your last uh, kind of question about um unif like kind of thinking of of uh, unifying Syrians i think it's yeah it's a very it's a very important question that i think now we should be more and more in, invested in, like as you know, as as Syrians, uh, but also uh, like to to think about words not only to describe what has been, but but to, but yeah, what is coming and how we contribute to it as well. Can I follow up on the idea of unity? Yeah, um, I'm not gonna take. Um long time to do this i have um in my article i talked about hatam ali when he died it was a moment of unification unif like a unification it's like kind of a moment of like people were like um mourned hatam ali in that moment and that was was actually um described as being revolutionary moment mm -hmm. so like again going back to the idea of revolution what is revolution in 2011 was very different and how revolution was described when Hatam Ali died. And like, oh, sorry, Hatam Ali is a, a Jolani um, uh, a, a filmmaker and director. He was famous for um, making the most, actually, this is Palestinians, what they talk about. It's like Hatam Ali did the best um, series about Palestine. And um, and so Hatem Ali in the memories of Syrians and Palestinians and a lot of people as well across the region as being such a, a, a providing alternative memory to um, Nakbin and other kind of struggles in the region, different than the states. So like 
you know, this is very important in politics is that, you know, Assad presents himself as or like the Ba'athist regime and present themselves as the, the kind of pan-Arabist or like anti-imperialist or like the saviors of Palestine, which they're not. But Hatem Ali is a person who's actually doing that work <laughs> through culture, through like filmmaking. So when Hatem Ali died, a lot of Syrians across political affiliations, different ones, were all like uniting to kind of mourn Hatem Ali. Um, so that 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 was like revolutionary. So like, I wouldn't be so upset about the idea of not being so united with people who are right-wing, fascist, sectarian, all of that. Why, why do I want to be in the same boat with those people? It's actually not okay to be in the same boat with those people. Um, so I actually, a lot of people talk about polarization as being problematic. And I'm like, why do we call it polarization? You know, why, why do we call it a problematic? Do I want to be, and I'm not talking about the ways that you know, how Assadism or, or anti-Assadism or like pro-Assadism is kind of, I think that that language is very binary and it kind of erases people who are kind of, um, they're like, they don't like, for example, today, this morning, I was talking to a person from Jordan and who, who live in Berlin and they're like, Razan, I talked to a lot of workers, people who are construction workers, bakeries, like all of this. And they talk about like a Yam Zaman, like the, the days before and they like, it's not that they they miss Assad. It's more of like they have stable jobs and they cannot afford life anymore. So why are we categorizing those people just because I talk about Ayam Zaman, which is something like is very demonized in the revolutionary language? Again, like going back to how how, how everyday struggles have become really uh, uh, um, categorized as you know um, you cannot talk about it. And who is categorizing this? They're intellectuals, the elite, the political elite. So this is like, I feel like the polarization is happening from the political elite on the grassroots people, the people on the everyday. So I, I would I would be very, I'm not someone who's against, um, uh, I, 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 I am, I'm not a very big fan of unity, to be honest. Um, actually, sometimes we need to have a very firm stance against um, fascism and right wing and racism and sectarianism, which is, which is a lot happening, not just in an asset camp, but also unfortunately in other other um, progressive circles. Um, <clears throat> yeah, actually, like after what uh, both colleagues like added, actually, it's difficult to add. But maybe like I can talk about like Thora itself. I mean, the the for me, like I see it. I mean, with, uh, with what we've mentioned, I mean, me and Razan, like like coming from activism background. And in social science, sciences, I mean, like all the time, like you cannot uh, uh, like stay in the middle. I mean, like, especially with the terms, I mean, what do we call it? Like thawra or awda or azme or crisis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is like something not new, I believe. I mean, when we talk about political academia with commitment, uh, 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 I mean, like we have like different models for this. I mean, from Holocaust studies to feminism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like where we are sticking to specific terms to express and talk about. Uh, so, uh, and here, like, I refer also all the time for the theory of narratives, and I mentioned Mona Baker, I, I also, like, translating wars, I think, conflicts, sorry, her book is about, like, how, like, narratives are creating us as, as social bodies in the, in the public spaces, public spheres, I mean, of what we are using and what we are talking about. I think the role of academics is not, I mean, in the, in the Arab linguistic, like, spheres, I mean, we don't have 
like the authority to 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 talk about like the development of of the terms themselves and like in all ways i mean it's not they cannot impose like or like prescribe like different terms for people to use but it's people who are using the terms and then for us i think it's about like describing the the context of those terms like Zidane, i mean you know and then like describe how this like happened and for archival practices maybe or like other functions that we as academics are like noticing and writing and describing and and describing maybe i don't know so uh, uh, uh and but revolution at the same time in syria like when we call it about revolution like because it's not only about the political action itself but also it's about like the political action that is embedded in the language itself in the songs in the protests in the slogans in the graffiti in the banners i mean this is a revolution of language actually uh, uh, and even if it was like only for a short time, for a few months or a year, I mean, if we can call it. So this is like from this point of view, I mean, in my PhD and my coming book, like I'm justifying the use of Thawra or revolution. Why do we call it Thawra? And and we cannot unify the term at the end. You know, Thawra for the regime is a Thawra Tasihir, for example. You know, the, the corrective movement for the regime. Thawra for the people in 2011 is Thawra that we, we, we had the protest. And then... Actually, my memory stops after 2011. And thank you, Razan, really, for all of the... You're able like, to continue because I would have like heart attack like when I, when I remember what happened or what's happening now for it. Um, uh, I would like to add something about uh, Ramadiin because uh, with, a co uh, with a colleague, we wrote an article about this uh, keyword as well. And... Um, and uh, uh, it, we start with the, uh, my uh, Wad Kallas, did uh, my colleague who is the, the co-author of this article, uh, did a fieldwork in a, in an association who give uh, French courses to Syrian refugees. And uh, what was interesting is that she found out that these Syrian were because uh, were. The, the, uh, the, uh, as they were talking about themselves as gray people. Mm. So from uh, a stigmat mm. uh, in 2019, when Wad Kallas was doing her fieldwork in Paris mm. in an other context, mm. it was like a label assumed by people. So it's interesting to realize that uh, words terms are living beings mm. that they can change and they, they mm. can be uh, reappropriated as well in this by the people who are stigmatized actually they were christian mm. but who were de defining themselves as but not only christian as well but but as ramadiyin and were in that way protesting against categorization it's interesting mm -hmm. to say that we found out that to say to define uh, yourself as a Ramadi was a way to protest against this kind of very uh, hard categorization, uh, pro anti. Yes, you just to assume to be in the middle and to have, as you say, a subtle uh, 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 opinion and position. Uh, so, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. yeah. time for like, yeah. maybe question. we can maybe we can hear one question and 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 yeah, I, I can I can get to that one now and hold the table. 
can wrap up but maybe yeah 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 maybe yeah you want to go ahead don't worry i think i can yeah. Good evening. Hi, my name is George. Thanks for your thoughts. Really interesting to hear. Uh, I'm not a student, but I, I just have a keen interest in the Middle East. Uh, two things, if I may. The first one is a question around translating specific Arabic words into English and French for uh, experienced translators, what would be kind of the thing that you learned over the years where you can really translate in a way that gives the best kind of uh, uh, meaning for it? Because I think it's really difficult, I guess. And the, the other one is more of a comment, if I may respectfully challenge the point around unification or unity and not being probably a fan of right wings, racist and, and sectarian people. I would say they became this way for a reason. And it would be good to understand the reasons as to why they became so. And maybe have an open dialogue with them and understand their needs in order for us to become really at one point, hopefully, a nation that could uh, address those issues that made them become right wing or racist and probably become at some point uh, those who can vote in a democratic way that could lead uh, to a peaceful way of, of, you know, understanding each other and reach hopefully a peaceful uh, situation because unless we understand the other side we will get more divided and I guess more polarized so thank you any other questions last call I have a question yeah <laughs> yeah my question is is methodological so I think when you when you talked about thick translation you're alluding to Clifford Gears yeah. thick description and I'm, I'm wondering is, I, I thought this this was a very um, good point of um, putting the interpretation of culture like putting the interpretation of language as parallel to the interpretation of culture but I'm wondering like how 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 were you able to drive the the interpretation in the first place like what's what's what what were the method that you used to to come to a conclusion to the meaning of a certain word. Yeah, that's a question. Okay, thank you. I will, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, do I react to the last one and then like I connect it to the, you can to the, if it's, you if it's, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, actually, you know, like, I mean, it's like, so, I mean, you know, like one of the impossible tasks for me, like, is like reaching meanings. Uh, I mean, maybe like, I think all the time, the Deridian sense of meanings that, you know, like, uh, meanings like we can have arrows for the truth, you know, but we cannot reach the truth itself. So this is why, I mean, maybe like, this is also like one of the dimensions that the, the issue was about, like all the time, that when we have meaning, it can be interpreted like into different layers, different, different stories, different things. But methodologically, I mean, uh, um, um, like maybe like text analysis is like one from the first thing that you can use. Uh, uh, also, like the when we talk about thick, thick translation, which is like defined by Kiwami Apia, like annotated translation of how to translate, like with putting the culture. And this, what privileged me all the time, I mean, in producing thick translation is like, as as I, we've mentioned, I mean, me and Razan, that we came, we came from the 
activist background and uh, being Syrian and also connected to the culture itself, which doesn't mean, as I said, you know, this is the meaning, you know, it's an interpretation at the end for what we what we're doing or what we what we what we are able to produce at the end. Mm. Uh, regarding the, this is like the impossible question actually to answer about like what is what is to translate and what is not. I mean, what is like the right decision about like translation? You know, like there is nothing called a. Uh, there are like some in translation studies theories about like I've read like for an Israeli uh, scholar about like the maxims of translation and how we can like measure like a translation that is good or bad, etc. I don't believe in this because for me it's all the time like related to. Uh, or it, it sticks to like sp specific discourse or narrative. So a translation is a translation. I mean, there is nothing called good or bad. And the same thing for the for the my criticism for the translation that I used. You know, it's not a decision about saying that this is a bad or good translation. It's a translation, but it is involved with specific concepts that are said that Islamization, for example. I mean, you know. So this is how I see translation. Maybe like just to put it like so shortly. My answer will be that uh, really it depends on, on what you translate, actually. Novel is something, to translate a novel is something, to translate testimonies is something else. And I felt that uh, I had, uh, I'm not Syrian, but I had to, a, a sort of mission, because uh, as a relay of, uh, because uh, these women were uh, giving their stories, uh, were testifying because they wanted to be heard and to be to attest what what was happening in the ground. They they wanted uh, also to reach this uh, this being with blurred contour, which is uh, the, the international community called also the world, uh, called the international justice. So uh, in that case, uh, it was really important to, <clears throat> to be, um, uh, to be, because uh, to, to, to make the French readers really understand what was happening on the ground in Syria and what happened to those women who engaged themselves in the beginning of the revolution with much hope for the future and who paid a high price for their commitment. So it, and it was a difficult task because sometimes it was like not, because they gave, uh, I don't know, they, they shared their stories with another Syrian. So many things were, in, uh, implicit, but it's why it's why uh, in this specific uh, case it was so important to uh, yes to 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 make the French readers to understand what was happening. But with a novel, it's something else. I mean, mm. the, it's, it depends. Does anyone have I have on the unity question? No, no, actually, no, no. I, I respect. I just, I feel like we did not answer the the, the public, public space, space question. I just wanted to say something. I feel like this is an excellent question. Thank you for asking it. And I feel like this is exactly what I feel is the responsibility. Um, or like, I feel like what we talked about is the potentiality of, of, uh, of the, of the, of, of a keyword and how it really creates a space with that, with that word. 
um, it creates a culture, it creates um, uh, boundaries, contours, uh, uh, visions. Um, um, and I feel like this is the, the the potentiality of keywords, but also the dangers of keywords. And I feel like that's an excellent question because that really gives um, the kind of um, the materiality of keywords. Like actually, how do we really live and experience keywords in, in the everyday? So thank you for asking that question. And on on non movement, uh, I think, yes, but yes, yeah. Like I think it's uh, like to, to to kind of apply it. I I think like the the approach to keywords is in the everyday language and i think like it is difficult to um like to to kind of locate um exactly how it started like maybe with some keywords it's easier than others and there's a debate around this like but um in general when you think of words a lot of them actually emerged like in in you know uh, online in in the streets um and like they they really re reflected like what like this political culture so we can you know use that term and how you know at times of protest it's like there's something so beautiful and so human you know about 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 revolution about protest because it suddenly like there's a celebration as well like now we're used to it as such a kind of uh, a painful memory but actually there's there's such beauty in 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 protest because yeah like people access all the the inherited aspects of of who they are of what connects them and and there's such you know beautiful energy and it it, it like it kind of emerges from a from a non movement to a movement uh, naturally in a in a way that is not like kind of uh, seen as as imposed but people own it um, in that in that moment it's a really good way to end <laughs> <laughs> good